Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This episode is brought to you by Hunt Hickory Creek. And new to Hunt Hickory Creek this year is their Central Kansas Lodge. They're going to be running hunters from the end of October all the way through January. And their main hunting area is located between Kavira National Refuge and Cheyenne Bottoms. Central Kansas is a special place for waterfowl hunting, and during the peak migration, those refuges hold hundreds of thousands, if not close to millions of ducks and geese at a time, mainly speckle belly, snow, and lesser Canada geese, mallards, pintails, and widgeon. You may have an opportunity to harvest all of these species in one hunt. You'll be very comfortable every morning in their AVNX A-frame blinds or laying on backboards, and they hunt over 1,200 of the industry's finest decoys. So visit their website at www.hunthickorycreek.com for booking information and follow them throughout the year on Facebook and Instagram. And don't miss your opportunity at a hunt of a lifetime with Hunt Hickory Creek. If you're going to hunt Kansas, hunt Hickory Creek. Welcome to the Fowl Front Outdoors Waterfowl Podcast, where our goal is to recruit and educate new hunters while entertaining the rest of you. Without new hunters and the mentorship of those more seasoned, this passion as we know it faces an uncertain future. So get the word out, turn the volume up, and enjoy the show, because you're on the foul front. This week's episode is brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries, the fastest growing, most affordable decoys on the market, with unmatched customer service. Visit them online at divebombindustries.com, on Instagram, or Facebook at Dive Bomb Industries. Or go ahead and give them a call anytime, seven days a week, at 314-322-7468. And go ahead and use the promo code FOWLFRONT 
all undercase with a space in between foul and front for 10% off your next purchase of Dive Bomb Decoys. This episode is also brought to you by Grip Pack Calls. If you want to produce a more versatile, realistic, and higher quality sound with all the ease of a double read, whether you're looking to up your game or just starting out, let a Grip Pack Call work just as hard for you as the Grip Pack crew did to develop and bring you next level quality with easy blowing calls. Grip Pack Calls. Find your grit. This episode is also supported by Goose Ninja Call Lanyards, MDR Custom Woodworks, Twisted Wire Upland Hunts out of Grand Island, Nebraska, and from our friends over at High Prairie Sportsman over on YouTube. All right, today on the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast, we've got Duck Gun Chronicles and Freelance Duck Hunter uh, from the Duck Gun Podcast. So, what's up, guys? Hey, thank you for having us on. I've been excited about this for quite a while. Yep, appreciate you uh, having us. Yeah, you guys had me on last week. That was pretty fun to get to get interviewed for a change, uh, kind of mixing it up. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot different having someone else at the helm kind of asking the questions and leading the, the podcast. And, you know, I think I'm going to relax and have a good break tonight. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing, too, though, is it is nice uh, to have somebody that kind of understands, you know, audio levels and how to keep things rolling and someone that's, you know, done recording before. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, one you, of you'll learn as you go. <laughs> exactly. That's all Jordan's department. Oh, and just so we don't forget him and leave him out here, you know, baby in the corner, we got, we got, uh, we got Tegan in here too. So my mom was getting pounded with the small jokes, man. I know, I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> but all right. So today we're going to be talking about uh, how to video your hunts, and we got two semi pros here on video and hunts. You guys have really successful YouTube channels. Uh, you want to give us a little lowdown on how you guys both got started. You guys can either trade off or tandem it, whatever you want, how your uh, YouTube channels got started. Why don't you go first, Jordan? All right. So my YouTube channel got started. I guess you'd have to go kind of like how go, go a little bit further back to like, uh, you know, how I started hunting, you know, my grandpa was a, a big influence on me um, to hunt, you know, big influence on me being a, a dog lover specifically of hunting dogs and then from there, you know, I'm just like, you know, later in my life, um, I mean, <laughs> not, not that late. I'm still in my 20s. But, uh, um, you know, I just I wasn't into the hunting scene a lot. And so I, I joined into the hunting, um, you know, just a few years back. And, you know, I work in a cubicle nine to five and, you know, just missing the outdoors and wanting to, you know, be able to join in, you know, creation and be out there, um, you know, just a little bit different than being in the cubicle, which, you know, a lot of society lives that way now. And if you, if you don't have the outdoors in your life, you're, you're really missing out. So that, that's kind of where I got started into hunting. And then the YouTube, I, I really just started at the same time. And w- once you're doing it, um, you know, one thing that I, I kind of want to borrow from, uh, Ben Potter, um, said this when he was on our show, actually, that he wants to do duck hunting justice with his films. And and I think that's a cool, cool way of saying it, because the, the main reason I started doing YouTube is kind of to show people like what what it is to hunt, you know, 
Um, and it was just, you know, started small. Like I want to show my family, you know, show friends like, Hey, this is what I'm doing when I'm gun hunting. And it's awesome being out there in, in creation. You know, a lot of people don't get that and, uh, don't get to be out there. And when you show them that you kind of bring back something of your, of, uh, your experience to them and, and do duck hunting justice. Absolutely. So did you start off duck hunting or did you hunt anything before that? So I guess that kind of um, goes back to uh, my grandpa, and he he started me off when I was a kid. Uh, my grandpa and my dad, uh, and my grandpa was a huge upland upland game hunter, and uh, you know he he had the whole kennel. He'd have four bird dogs at the same time, English pointers, and um, you know actually named my dog after his favorite dog, Chief, which which is uh you know pretty cool. <laughs> uh, Chief was an awesome dog. My grandpa's dog, the pointer. Um, and then, you know, chief's got big, big shoes to fill. And, uh, yeah, so that's where I started doing quail hunting in Southern Indiana with my grandpa and he traveled the country, you know, just going everywhere to hunt. Um, unfortunately, you know, I didn't get to do a lot of that, but when I, our, our tradition was when we go to visit him, cause I lived, uh, about three to four hours away, um, from them and you know, Thanksgiving morning, we'd go, we'd go out there and quail hunt. Um, and we did that for a few years and then my grandpa got, uh, too old to go. And, um, you know, since he's passed away, but, you know, on lives the tradition of hunting. And I kind of picked up the waterfowl hunting separately just because we don't have, we don't have upland game in my area. So, um, you know, the fact that we don't have quell or pheasant in large abundance, you know, the duck hunting is right there. And, you know, I jumped into that and, uh, really, really am passionate about waterfowling at this point. Awesome. It's, you know, it's great that that's kind of the way that you, you connect with your grandpa. And, and I feel the same sentiments. I started off upland hunting as well. Um, so yeah. So when did you, you got into videography and uh, video, is that, is it the right word? Videography? Yeah. Videography, cinematography, <laughs> uh, taking video, whatever you want to call it. doesn't really, you know, uh, was that something? Was that something that you picked up when you started hunting, or did you already have some exposure into that beforehand? Um, that's something that I, I didn't have exposure in beforehand. Um, I guess yeah, when I started my YouTube, I did like a few little you know fishing videos. You know, I kind of like saw other people doing them, and you know, I was fly fishing at the time. Tried to emulate them and do some you know kind of cool fly fishing. I, obviously, super super amateur, and like even now, I'm not like much more than an amateur um you know obviously always trying to sharpen your skills and do the best to tell tell your story with every tool you have um but yeah i didn't have any experience really before before starting the youtube stuff right right awesome awesome well elliot what about you well kind of like you guys i started out upland game hunting as well and we did a lot of pheasant and quail hunting and even got really heavily into prairie chicken hunting which we had a really nice population in our state at the time and during those so these are my junior high and high school years and my dad always had a video camera and he was always making home videos and he was always taking the camera out on the hunt with us so i've got a bunch of home videos of um, just hunts. Now it's not like he wasn't trying to get kill shots. It was just us goofing around and, and moments. So having, having a camera on, on hunts with us was some, somewhat normal to me. And during that time, my dad and I got an idea that we were going to start a competition and we were going to make a point system and each different type of bird was worth a certain number of points. Like a goose was 10 points, a mallard drake 
was six, a, a dove was two. So we had this elaborate point system, and it was just a competition between the two of us. So he started this spreadsheet to keep track of all this. And it was so much fun trying to win that. But after a few years went on, we went to college, the spreadsheet turned into, instead of a contest, it just became recording records of what we were doing with notes. And we kind of started journaling a little bit. My dad started writing some stories of our hunts. And and so this spreadsheet developed over the years. And about, I'd say, five years ago, um, I, at the beginning of the year, I went back and I was going through each and every hunt in the, in the spreadsheet. And I realized that I just couldn't remember enough of each hunt. And so I told my dad, I said, look, I, I'm going to start a video log because I'm looking at these hunts, you know, eight years ago, nine years ago, and some of them don't have any notes. I just can't remember these hunts and I want to be able to remember them. So I told him for this whole year, I was going to video log and I never did it. So the next year comes around and my father-in-law came over and just gave me a, this little video camera, this JVC Evro. And I said, okay, this year I'm going to do it. I'm going to start a video log. And my idea was simply after the hunt was over, I was just going to record my thoughts and feelings about the hunt. Well, I decided to bring this camera with me on the hunt instead of doing it afterwards, and I just hit record a bunch of times. And I put that up on YouTube. I named it Freelance Duck Hunting because I love that term. I got that off of – I got it from Wade Bourne off of um, Ducks Unlimited shows. He used that term quite a bit. And I just loved that term, and I thought it summed up what we were because we were, we were 100% – um, public land hunters. So I hit record a bunch on the first time. Actually, not even that much. It's only about a four-minute video. And put it on YouTube and had no real thoughts of anyone watching it. Um, and to my surprise, people were actually watching, uh, started watching it um, a lot more than what I thought. I mean, it wasn't getting a ton of views, but I didn't, I didn't know how YouTube worked. I didn't know um, what it took to actually get people to watch your videos. But People started watching enough started watching it that I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. So instead of doing a log after the hunts, I'm going to start um, just bringing the camera with me and hit and record a bunch. So that's what I started doing. And after about, I'd say, five hunts, I was like, man, people are commenting there. They're, and, and at that time, you could monetize your videos no matter what. And I certainly wasn't making a lot of money. But, I mean, you know, seeing like $1, $2, I was like, holy cow, I'm actually, you know, maybe I could at some point in my life get a check for $100. And that kind of became the goal. It's like if I could one time in my life get a check from YouTube for $100 and okay. get maybe 100 subscribers, that would be the deal, you know. And so um, I've, I made an intro. By the end of season one, there was enough people watching it that I was I – was, all in to actually trying to make something that other people might want to view so in the off season of season one and season two i I just finished season three season four is coming up to give people a little context if they don't watch my videos but in between season one and season two then i upgraded my camera and really tried to hone in okay what can i do to actually start building an audience and and making this in a way to where I'm sharing the hunt and get kill shots because season one, I wasn't even really trying to get kill shots at all. Um, I was a little tiny bit as the season went on, but mostly it was just kind of, here's us, here's what we're doing, you know? Um, so I, after season one, I was like, okay, it's time to, I'm really going to make a go at this and see, see what happens. And it just became such a fun hobby. It was just like, man, it, once you kind of get the bug and people start watching, it's so enjoyable that you just keep going. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, first thing I got to say there, Elliot, is one, Fumble Mitts is the man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and two, <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's really cool uh, to hear that you guys started logging all those stats when you were in high school and then into college because to me that's just – it shows the evolution of FDH and how mm-hmm. far it's come with the uh, Freelance Stats website now. It's kind of cool to think that you have something that's pretty unique there and that started off as – you know, just you and your family uh, trying to keep track of your hunts. Yeah, that that now, like you said, I have a site that I developed called Freelance Hunt Stats, and it's available. There's a free version and a paid version, but the evolution of that site is really a story all in its own because um, I've been had been working on this elaborate Excel spreadsheet for years and years with a dream of having a website developed. Now, when I when I came up with that dream, it had nothing to do with anyone else. It had nothing. To, same thing with my videos. It's like all these ideas are just for me. Uh, my videos were just for me. This the website I wanted to have developed was just because I personally wanted it. Uh, and, and then once I everything started going, I was like, well, maybe other people would like like this too, you know. So it, it's an it, the the website is an interesting story in itself for sure. If there's uh, one thing I can interject in there, I, I never heard the story about um, you having the point system. And man, that sounds like that needs to be added to your hunt stats as well. Because oh, like <laughs> I mean, that just sounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that'd be cool. I mean, I, obviously, you could see people kind of taking it to almost an extreme with that. You got to be careful with that yeah. um, because obviously, numbers isn't the most important thing. But I still think it'd be really cool, you know, just to see kind of like what the score would be at the end of the season. You know, compete with yourself from the previous season, something like that. Right. Yeah. And if you're in I, Indiana, you get like a handicap. Where in Kansas, like maybe you get you, know, you only get half the points. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I never actually thought about um, bringing back the point system. That's a good idea. One thing I'm really excited about it that we can't do now, but I want to integrate within the year is being able to. I don't know what the name it would be, whether it be groups or crews or clans. So my hunting party, we could connect our accounts and then view our group statistics and not just individual statistics. And then you could share those and compare, like the foul front crew could compare their stats with not to make it a contest necessarily but, but being able fun, to link yeah some fun stuff like yeah so yeah so well, one quick story about the point system and you you talked about fumblemits and for those those of you who don't know my dad's name that I gave him his nickname is fumblemits and I nickname pretty much if you're in my life you pretty much have a, have a nickname at one point or another and so my dad my dad actually did name himself fumblemits but I ran with it and he named himself that when I was a senior in high school to, and I'm 45 so this name is stuck let's just say oh, that wow. so Okay, now he claims he didn't do this on purpose, but I want to – he did. So listen to this. We're, we're doing our point system, and I was winning by about 30 points, and we were on the last hunt of the season, and it was a snow goose hunt. And snow geese were worth 10 each, and I'm up by like 30 or 40 or 50. I mean I've got a pretty good margin on him, right? And so um, sometimes when we do snow goose hunts, we just stalk them and get them on the flush instead of putting out decoys. And, it's, and I have a lot of fun doing it that way. Right. So it was just he and I, and we had – probably 5,000 snow geese on this marsh that was ringed with cattails. And so he and I were together and we were crawling up through the cattails and we were going to get as close to them as we could. And then either when they naturally flushed, if you're around snow geese at all, other than field hunting, you'll know that they can't stay seated for more than five minutes without getting up and moving around. So we sneak in close to them and then they naturally get up and move around. And when they do that, they come right over you like, you know, 20 yards over your head. And so our goal is to get up as close as possible. 
let him get up. And for some reason, he has this idea. He says, I'll tell you what, we're going to split up. You crawl around over there, and I'll stay here. And he had this big idea. So I'm like, okay, I'll crawl around over there in case. I don't remember what his reasoning was, but he had me convinced to do this, right? <laughs> I'm crawling over there, not even, not even set up yet, and I hear bang, bang, bang. And I look, and he's got 10 geese down on the water. And he won the contest by – he ended up retrieving seven of them. Three of them were lost. But he, so he got 70 points on three shots, winning the contest for the year, and somehow he didn't do that on purpose. He gave you the old man <laughs> swindle. Yeah. Typical dad. Uh, sounds right there, so. very yeah. sounds like he, he won fair and square. I'm going to And I can tell you, that. that's the only time in my life I ever remember him suggesting us get up and separate like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly he had an agenda. What a coincidence. (laughs) He executed it through perfection. I did not even fire my gun. That's great. I can just imagine him standing in the cattails, just fist pumping as you're crawling around. He's got all 10 down. (laughs) He's a great guy, you know. At the age 75, he, man, he still gets out there and busts his butt. He's got a pacemaker. He's 75, and he's out there with us just crushing it. So, and he's he's something else. You know, you, you said he has a pacemaker. Uh, I know that every, like, waiter I've bought in the last two or three years has been like, don't wear this waiter with a pacemaker. Does he have to, like, think about that with the little magnets that, like, on the on the pockets? I've never never seen that or thought about it. I'm going to, I don't know. That's the first oh, I've yeah. heard of that. I'll certainly look into it. Yeah, like the Magellan ones, they've got... Uh, little magnet like pocket closers like that's just you know a little consideration maybe a little safety tip so magnetic pockets you have to be careful of with with uh because i know he's got at least one shirt with a magnetic pocket i mean that's that's what the uh the old warning sticker said on it so i I appreciate that i'll definitely bring that up to him yeah he's so into he's so into waterfowl hunting he carries these little pills in his chest pocket and he's everyone knows all right an heart attack (laughs) always pills out what a stud. <laughs> I mean, I hope I'm kicking half as well as him at 75. Me too. Me too. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so how did the podcast, the Duck Gun podcast, get started? Um, so I guess that, that falls in my court. So I started it up in January of this year. Um, you know, at the time there wasn't a lot of people posting podcasts since, since then it's a big trend and, uh, uh, there's a lot of podcasts that have popped up and a lot of people who've rejuvenated their podcasts and, you know, uh, and there's definitely some great content being pumped out, you know, yourself included in, in that. And, um, but you know, I just started the podcast and, and, uh, you know, Elliot was one of my premier guests that came on and, um, you know, we had kind of chatted, um, here and there you know, through the comments and emails from time to time. So we, we already had somewhat of a relationship, but after he was on the guest as a guest twice, you know, um, we decided to team up and, um, we just been cruising right along ever since. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's been such a great opportunity. Jordan contacted me, um, during the year, I was already kind of watching his shows and knew he was, and he, he contacted me. I think he was intentionally kind of planting a seed because, he was like, what would you think if we did something weekly, you know, you and I? And, and I didn't really know him that well. And I'm like, oh, you know, I don't really know this guy very well. And, and I'm like, no, I don't know if I'm interested in that. And then, 
and then uh, he leads me to kind of uh, just say after I was on uh, the podcast with him a couple times, I contact him and I was like, what would you think about us doing this together? Of course, thinking it was my idea when it wasn't. It was his months before. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I just tuned into your guys. You guys do some really cool stuff with that, the YouTube live broadcasting and stuff. That, that, that really is cool. Like, I think I popped in earlier when I was making dinner, uh, just kind of gauge when you guys were going to be done. And um, saw you had pulled up like a live uh, poll that was animated. And I just, you guys. You guys are really doing some stuff that, uh, you know, I didn't even know that stuff existed. So, Yeah, it's just kind of, I've been tinkering around with that. And that's actually the first week we've done that. And, you know, like the way like you can do with YouTube, the better you can have like more interactive content with the live viewers, the more likely they are to stick around. So, you know, if, if they don't have something that's engaging, um, you know, it's obviously it's engaging when you're talking, but it's more so when you can get their involvement like with voting in a pool and seeing that live stuff. And so that's actually the first week we tried that. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty pleased with how it turned out. Um, you know, there's tons and tons of stuff. Like one goal I would have for like the YouTube side of stuff would be to get it kind of close to, I mean, the best you can for like a YouTube live show opposed to just recording our podcast live, you know, kind of integrate some, some stuff in there that would, you know, hopefully give that, that kind of feel to the, the viewers. Right. Yeah, I've never thought about that before. Like you said, you got to keep people interacting on the live. I mean, obviously, your episodes still get posted on iTunes and whatever sites you use eventually. But during the actual podcast, I mean, props to you guys for utilizing all those tools and keeping people uh, sucked in to the live show. Yeah, and you guys are brave, too, because uh, I have to do quite a bit of editing until I'm feeling confident enough to put this out in the, on, on the old interwebs and, and whatnot, so... Yeah, with us it's kind of you get what you you get what you see, and <laughs> um, you know with our videos we're not ashamed to show like what we got, and and uh, you, you get the bad. That's all I'll say. <laughs> and I yeah. will say, recording anything, whether it's video or audio, it takes getting used to, and especially putting your face in front of a camera, it's just something that you just have to kind of warm up to because it's it can be a little overwhelming at first. Yeah, you know, even if you stumble a little bit, though, I think that's the whole, you know, FDH and Duck Gun Chronicles image is it's that raw, natural footage, and I think people love that. I mean, obviously, that's, you know, what you guys' thing is. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. I I know that speaking for myself personally, my my goal is to allow the viewer to feel like they were with us on the hunt, and they know each person – that's in that that shows up on the hunts and that at the end of the video they're like i know what it felt like to be on that hunt um i i, I can imagine it it seems like how it is with me and my friends to really really connect to not just the atmosphere but all of the fdh crew as well i would say you guys are definitely yeah. successful with that whether it's uh golden boy bringing a creepy baby or danny throwing a shotgun <laughs> shell in a fire it really does come home and it does relate and so i think you're doing a good job and it's definitely working i pre- i appreciate that because that that is the ultimate i'm never going to do the cinematic things like jordan is way more skilled at me than doing the cinematic things and i'm i'm just that's not my thing and i can't you know you, you got to be true to who you are 
And I think who I am with freelance duck hunting is just real. If we screw up, you're going to see it. If we don't shoot any ducks, you're going to see it. If someone does something stupid, you're going to see it. It's just I, it's just going to be real and let you come with us and see what we do. And that's that's just the goal. I like both. Yeah. I like real raw, and then I like um, like dramatic and cinematic too. It, yeah, it's fun. What you can you know, I like the contrast in your guys's. Uh, you know, YouTube channels. Yeah. And I kind of uh, attempt to do, you know, a little bit of both. You know, I try to get the raw and, and the real and stuff. And I probably don't do it as well as Elliot. Um, he's really good at the storytelling and, you know, going along those lines and making you feel like you're on the hunt. Um, but then I give it a touch of that, that cinematic. Usually I try to do some B-roll in the beginning or front. And, like, I'm nowhere near as good as somebody like Ben Potter who's filming, like, the Sitka, um, you know, linguist films and, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I I really have you know kind of fallen in love with that B roll kind of shot. Like I just love to do it. And it kind of I've, I've already said this once tonight, but it just really does uh, duck hunting justice. And like I'm really passionate about duck hunting, and really love like all the things we get to see when we go out there. And it's so hard to describe that. And if you can show that in video, that's kind of you know I like to have a portion of my video show that. Now Jordan is a really humble guy, and I will say this about jordan this is he's only been really filming his second season now and really trying to produce videos like this is new to him and you but if you see what he's got going on and i bet you if we were to fast forward to two three four years down the road he's going to be cranking out some really really high-end cinematic stuff just from what i've seen personally of of his skill sets so oh wow yeah yeah absolutely that's pretty great (laughs) (laughs) yes oh look at that the old uh, co-host backpat right there for you, Jordan. <laughs> hey, Tegan, come on, man. Pick it up. Good job, Ben. Uh, no, so one thing, uh, I th- last year was my first season of trying to capture my hunts on film. And that's kind of the you know the reason we're doing this, this episode is because I, I think I did an okay job, but I, I didn't get everything that I wanted to, and I focused a lot more on, like, kill shots and some of the funnier things, but uh, I, I don't know if you – if I think, Elliot, you saw you saw my last highlight video. I usually just mm-hmm. take all my video clips and send them to Matt over at High Prairie Sportsman because he's a good friend of uh, mine from college, and I let him do all my video editing and whatnot, but all the stuff that he didn't use or – ended up at the end of the year, I kind of just threw into like a highlight video uh, for the season. But it kind of got to the point where everybody enjoyed the videos so much, uh, hooking them up onto my big screen after the hunt that everyone would hang around at my house for good an hour and a half. And, you know, for while I pull them off and uh, we would review them and watch them. And it got to the point where it's kind of like, you know, if it didn't happen on camera, did it matter? You know, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it it, it did get fun and it added another element to hunting and setting up and that whole you know nature. Well, you're tapping into the emotions, when, especially when you've been on the hunt and then you watch a form of it on video. You can feel the emotions and relive them in a way you cannot just strictly with your memory, and that's that's what's so enjoyable about watching your own personal hunts. When you guys first started videoing, any of you three, uh, did you ever go back and watch the footage and you're like, wow, that's not how I remembered it just because you weren't very talented at it yet? 
Um, have you ever had a time where you're on a hunt and uh, two people shoot their guns and <laughs> both people claim the bird? Well, that's yes. one thing that you can always go back and, and check from the video. <laughs> and it, it, depends, yeah. it depends on what kind of camera you have, like what camera angle, but especially if you have a GoPro on your head, which mm-hmm. is not the best footage, but it definitely can confirm whose bird it was. Yeah, I guess I, I, I will second that. that. Yeah, I t- twice now Aiden's claimed he's shot something, and I'm two for two. Let's just say that. <laughs> you can slow it down to the moment you hear the crack of that gun. And unless yep. they're right together at the same moment, which they are, you can tell. Yep. Throwing golden boy under the bus. That's right. Hey, he, he, I'll tell you, he <laughs> outshines so me. In a, no, well, he outshines me in almost every other life aspect, so I got to get him where I can. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so equipment. Um, what'd you guys start off with? What'd you evolve to? You go ahead with, with this one, Elliot. Okay. So I, I had the, um, uh, JVC Evero, which is about a $200 camera. My, my, uh, um, father-in-law gave it to me. And after about three, four, five hunts, um, when I started realizing that people were watching it, I was like, oh, okay, I wasn't ready to put the gun down at all yet. So then I'm like, okay, I need to get a GoPro and put it on my head. Well, I did a bunch of research, and I thought I was getting a decent um, off-brand action camera, and it ended up that that action camera was just god-awful. So um, I didn't <laughs> hardly get any any footage with that. So season one, I had the JVC Evero. So after that season, I, I, I stored up some money, and I season two, I had a panasonic hcv 770 which is about a 600 hundred dollar camera did tons and tons of research and was just going for higher quality um uh, higher quality video camera uh, uh just just video quality and all season two that's pretty much all i used i was still trying to use that off-brand action camera and feeling miserable with it so we started taking turns where if we had three or four people um, with the addition of Dan hunting a lot, and then we actually met Golden Boy in the woods that season, and him starting to hunt, we would have more groups of three or four people, so we would just take turns and try to get kill shots with the Panasonic. Then season three, um, still had the Panasonic, but then purchased a GoPro Hero 4 Silver and started finally figuring out how to use an action camera, putting it in the decoys, and so all of season three are the, are the combination of those two. And, and there's a big upgrade in um, the number of kill shots, which I don't think that kill shots are the end-all, be-all. In fact, my videos, I, I kind of try to – we started from inside out where most people go out and just try to get kill shots. I was going out and not trying to get kill shots, and kill shots came secondary. But season three, I think it really kind of started to fall together with me being able to get at least three or four kill shots an episode – um, and then recently, so now for season four, I still have the Panasonic, I still have the GoPro, and I picked up a Canon Vixia um, G, I can't remember, I always forget, it's like a G7 or G40, um, it's about a $900 camera, so now what we're going to have is the Panasonic's going to hang around my neck, the GoPro's going to be out in the decoys, and then the Canon, I've got a stabilizer um, that you can kind of shoulder it, and whoever is getting the kill shots will do that with the Canon, so now we're running three cameras, so. That that's where we're at right now. That's a pretty diverse setup you got there uh, currently. 
I think it's really yeah. cool. You were saying like your kill shots aren't your main goal, and I think mm-hmm. it's awesome how you guys work as a team and like your teamwork in some of your videos, whether it's Golden Boy or Fumble Mitts or Danny, whoever it is. I've noticed that a lot in your YouTube videos how you guys take turns, mm-hmm. one shooting with the camera, one with the gun, and some of those videos you can just tell the kill isn't what it is because you have one guy shooting one guy filming and some of those flocks you guys get coming in i'm like man i think to myself sometimes if both guys would have been shooting holy cow they would have limited out fast but instead you focused on the good content for your audience which is you know selfless yeah well and i've been going at this for 25 plus years now so um it's all it's all a progression of where you're at in your stages and I've, i've i've killed enough ducks at this point that if I'm not the one pulling the trigger, it doesn't matter to me near as much as it would have 15, 20 years ago. So, but and I'll tell you, getting using the camera and getting good footage with it when a flock comes in is actually way more fun than people realize it is. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, Jordan, what what kind of cameras you running? Um, well, kind of kind of step back before we go to the cameras. So, um. To kind of Are you describe, trying to get me like, back the, for the, the lightning round? <laughs> no, no, no. no, no, no. Um, so kind of looking at the YouTube scene, this this is going to lead into the cameras, I, I promise. But uh, <laughs> um, looking at the YouTube scene, kind of, Elliot was a pioneer in that as far as like the duck hunting goes. Because like prior to, um, what would you say, like three, four years ago, yeah. the majority of videos on there were, you know, highly, highly produced, you know, like, um, like fouled reality type stuff. And then everything else was rock music and kill shot montages. And then along comes the vlog style, which um, as far as I know, Elliot was kind of one of the first people to do that. And and that kind of got popular, popularized by him and a, and a couple others, I would say. And that's outdoor where limits. I came in. Yeah. Outdoor limits, probably uh, Bobby guy films as well. Um, and that's the people that kind of come to mind. And if I'm forgetting somebody else on YouTube that started, around that same time i'm sorry but that's 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 the people i knew of um but um so that's kind of what i looked at when i when i was deciding to start the hunting youtube uh deal and you know so that's kind of where i wanted to be with my gear in mind so um i got an action cam and you know going into a low budget i honestly just used my smartphone so if you go like look at my my uh first my first videos, I'd set up my smartphone on a tripod, <laughs> which it was a Google or not a Google. Why, why did I say Google? An iPhone six plus, um, not waterproof. And I'd set it up on, you know, a tripod behind where I was hunting to try to get like the big shot of me. And then, um, usually it would miss the birds, but sometimes it'd be in frame. And then I'd wear a GoPro on my head and I had the same GoPro as Elliot. Um, and it, like you said, it was it was terrible, and uh, it got terrible image in low light. Um, it came with a waterproof case, and it didn't fit in the waterproof case, so it would like bounce around. So if you used it for the audio, all you'd hear was the camera going <laughs> hitting the sides of this waterproof case. So it was just terrible. I ended up like taking uh, like foam pieces and stuffing them in there to keep it from rattling. Uh, but that was like a forty dollar little action cam, and using the smartphone, and I did that for the whole first season that I hunted. And, uh, you know, then, then I upgraded to, uh, a better off brand. I can't remember the name. They're like Japanese names. It's like something not easy to remember, like GoPro. Um, so some, uh, budget off brand GoPros 
had a couple of those and I had um, still had my smartphone, but I also upgraded to a Panasonic G7, which has been kind of the, the backbone of my content. Um, you can use it for the, the vlog style, um, you know, talking to the camera. Um, you can use it, you know, switch out lenses on it. So I use like just a standard lens and then I switch to a, a 50 millimeter lens and you get that, uh, you know, really uh, good depth of field or shallow, shallow depth of field. Um, would be the way to describe it. And so you kind of get, if you don't know what that is, um, it's where one thing is in, in focus and then like very quickly the things behind it are out of focus. And so it really gives you that cinematic look. Um, you know, if you look at like B-roll on my videos and the, the slow motion shots, I'm using a 50 millimeter lens to, to get all that. And it really kind of brings attention to one specific object as you're like scanning through the, the shot. Um, so got the, the Panasonic G7 for that. And then for the next year, I've upgraded to having a, a GoPro 5, Hero 5, um, which really, really, really good quality, um, almost as good as the, the 6, but uh, at almost half the price. So not you're not getting a – it's kind of like you're going to the point of diminishing returns if you're looking at a, a 6 to 5. The, the GoPro 6 is slightly better. Um, I think you get a higher resolution at – you know, the 120 frames, which I'm not going to be using GoPro for uh, slow motion shots. You know, I got my uh, other cameras for that kind of stuff. And then um, the last edition I got to kind of help with the kill shots because, you know, I, I really don't focus on the kill shots as well just because about about 50% of my hunts are solo hunts. You know, the other 50 I'll join up with uh, my regular group, um, but they're going on a lot of weekends. A lot of times I'm hunting before work. So if I'm going solo, I don't have the option to, you know, have a camera guy or be too concerned about the kill shots, which honestly doesn't make up that big of a difference in the actual footage. So, uh, but this year I'm going to add a um, Tacticam, which you can mount it on your barrel. Mm. So hopefully that'll fill in some of the kill shots for my content. So the biggest thing I think for the way I got it is I'll just set the GoPro behind me. It's not actually going to be in my head. And the reason you set it behind you is you have a huge angle. Uh, it has a wide angle, so you get a lot of a lot of what's going on. You'll be able to see the birds. They'll look small, but you'll be able to see yourself. And you know, all these different cameras kind of help you tell your. They're they're a different tool to help tell your story. Right. Um, you you kind of played into something I was going to ask you guys about. So, what are the elements of a you know good video? What are some of the things that you know that you're going to shoot that day. You're kind of the backbone of the frame that you put together. Jordan, you want me to take it or you want to go? Um, sure, I'll go first on this one. Okay. Um, I'm sure Jordan's way more organized about that. He tends to be a lot more <laughs> intentional than my just hit record a bunch mentality. <laughs> Well, he Elliot must, uh, you know, because when I started out, I was watching a lot of Elliot's stuff. So um, I pretty much just templated what Elliot did, Elliot did and copied it. You know, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, for me, I try to just, uh, you know, take them along along the hunt, you know, in the, the order that I go. And uh, usually I have like a segment the night before where I'm like packing up my stuff. And I'm like, hey, guys, going on a hunt in the morning. This is where I'm going. This is my plan. Um, here's the gear I got. And then see you guys in the morning. And then from there, you know, it just, you know, a lot of times it's hard to get some of those dark shots or you're rushing. So usually I don't do as good as getting that. But you want to have, like, every kind of element of the hunt so they can see the, progress the progression 
of what's going on. So they feel like, you know, there's not a disconnect because all of a sudden you're in the blind. They're like, whoa. Or like all of a sudden, like something happens. You at least have to explain it um, because once people become disconnected from the story, it's, it's like if you had missing pages in a book, you know, it would just be really hard to be interested in something if you can't follow it. So I guess right. that's, yeah, that's the progression I have. Um, you know, get out there and, you know, set up your cameras for the hunt. And then anytime anything happens, um, you vlog it. And if I, if I don't get it, which I, I do a bad job about this a lot of times, and I'll use voiceover um, a lot to kind of help tell the story. I'm big into telling the story, like trying to, you know, have people feel like they know what's going on in the story. Yeah. I know one thing that, you know, Matt, high prairie sportsman, Matt, he, he would every night he'd text me and he would like, before we were going to go out on a hunt, uh, cause he's up in Nebraska, I'm down in Oklahoma. He'd be like, now Ben, I need a picture of you in the truck or setting up something. And I, oh yeah, 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 I, I got you, man. I got you. I got you. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, next thing I know the decoys, you know, the decoys are all out and, uh, blinds are set and brushed and someone is like, Hey, weren't you supposed to take an intro film or something like that? Oh, dang it. <laughs> yeah. You've got to be really diligent. I'll tell you, taking um, camera equipment with you on every single hunt, you have to really be into it because there are times in which you just get tired. I mean, you know when you're out on a duck hunt and you're physically exhausted and things aren't really going well. I mean, there's times just like you do not feel like recording anything. I just want to sit. I don't feel like doing it. And it takes a lot of persistence to, and if I'm being honest, there's days where I've just haven't had that good of a video just because I'm like, I'm tired. I don't feel like videoing. I don't have to video every (laughs) second. You know, I start this, this line of mumbling about it, but um, it just takes a lot of, of persistence with me that the game changer for me was wearing the camera around my neck um, because it fits. It's small enough. My Panasonic that I can wear it even when I'm shooting and it just fits right down um, right on my chest, but I can get that thing up and recording in a matter of 10 to 15 seconds at the most. So what that allows me, anything that I find interesting at that moment, I can have it up and I can have it on, whether that's a conversation, whether that's a pelican flying by, whether I see something interesting. So I, I don't like storyboard to where I don't have to get a setting up every time. If I feel like it, I will. If I, if I think it's interesting, as well, I don't time lapse If there's lots of good cloud cover and it's moving around, then I'll do that. But it's like I don't really storyboard. It's more at the moment, if I find it interesting, I can have the camera up and on so fast that I can get it. And then also any, I, I try any emotions that I'm feeling, I try to explain and, and express. Um, so I, I guarantee you I'm not as organized as Jordan or, or Matt is, but having that camera up and on in, in just a matter of seconds gives me the ability to just kind of go as I find things interesting. Yeah, that's, that's, a, uh, that's a great like tool to have because I always – you know, the, with the GoPro, you, hey, hey, can you see the numbers? Are the numbers going, man? Yeah, man. Yeah, it's recording. It's recording. Okay, sounds good. That's how that's how every single one of my videos starts. Um, yeah. I, I think people make a big mistake when they go out and spend $350 for a GoPro, and that is their only tool for recording a hunt. I think people would be much, much better off to go out and buy a $250 
um, Sony or Panasonic Candy Cam and have that around their necks and be willing to put the gun down every night. You only need, you know, a few kill shots in episodes. So if you're out with three guys and you shoot 10 ducks, if you get three of those ducks getting shot and then you're just given the conversation, that is so much more to me an interesting uh, episode than seeing someone with a GoPro on their head where it's shaky, the audio's poor, the ducks look like ants. Um, and I think that a lot of guys make the mistake in rushing out and getting a GoPro instead of getting the same price for a right. for a star man cam. And yeah. like Jordan was saying with the you know, when I I got this I, iPhone seven plus, this thing is like it's an iPad essentially. Um I would just take my one of my old blind bags and I'd put it about twenty or thirty yards behind our our layout blinds and I'd sandwich a couple hand uh, hand warmers in between it to keep it warm and I'd just let it roll the whole hunt and then go back and find all the the I can't believe how good some of that that, that video footage is I, I would say that that's about seventy percent of my my footage. So let me ask yeah. you a question. That video that was on Facebook today on your um, Facebook channel of your hunt where you shot, a, I think, a couple of doubles in that, was yeah. that – what was that filmed with? Was that your, your phone? Uh, if it was – if you saw me popping up out of the blind and like my yeah. head moving, it was, my, it was a GoPro Hero Silver. Hero okay. Four Silver, yeah. Okay. And then um, if, you, if you can see me in my whole blind, it's my iPhone 7 Plus. Okay. Okay. S- 7 Plus, yeah. Um, and I actually use the the seven plus a lot myself. I have the same phone, and uh, I mean, like like he's saying, like I even say, like if you have a good smartphone, I wouldn't even spend the money, um, you know, on another camera. Like just starting off, you don't need it. Just use your smartphone. You can the money you you should be putting into is getting um, one of those flexible mounts and a smartphone attachment, mm-hmm. and you can just put it on that mount, let it run. Um, and it works perfect. You can use it for the vlogging of the hunt, like talking about what's going on. You can set it up behind you, um, you know. Yeah. And even getting a cheaper GoPro can help with the shots of you in the blind. Like all you need is really two cameras to mm-hmm. to make a you know a really good YouTube video. It, yeah, and you're talking about mounts and stuff. <laughs> I think most of my mounts with mine were. I usually lost my coffee mug and one of my gloves because I'd like position the phone on my like i'd set my coffee mug out like way behind our blind and like have the glove hold it into like the right position so yeah i would say mounts are critical <laughs> yeah I mean, they're pretty cheap you can get like uh one of the cheap like flexible mounts for like 15 bucks and then a smart mo- a smartphone attachment like 10 so you're talking like 25 bucks you already have a phone you just hook it on there and then, I mean, the other thing you can do is too is get one of those external chargers. And once you have a charger with um, your iPhone cord, I mean, that thing will run for three, four hours, mm. as long as you have the storage. Yeah, that's interesting. You said that because one of the questions I wanted to ask at some point in time tonight was uh, how the battery storage is on those GoPros. Because I've never filmed a hunt before, but I've heard that that can be a huge pain, especially in the cold weather. That they don't really last very long. Yeah, so there's a couple things you can do for it. The same thing um, with the the Heroes 5 and 6, those are waterproof. So um, it's kind of best to leave them as waterproof, which the batteries last in those about an hour and 15 minutes, which, like, if you're not paying attention, you can miss some footage if you don't switch out the batteries. So the way to combat that is they – it's a 
um, a separate company from GoPro. They make an external battery um, for the GoPro and a waterproof a waterproof case that's similar to like the ones you'd have for like the Hero Three before they're completely waterproof. Um, but it's extended, so it looks like it's the size of two GoPros with an extended battery, and that'll last like three, four hours. But if you don't have one of those, you're not worried about it being waterproof. You can use the same external chargers you use for like uh, an iPhone, and you can plug the port that you'd normally charge your uh, your GoPro in your house. You just plug that into the external charger, take it with you, and then again, you're lasting three, four hours um, with that. Yeah, you pretty much have to have an external battery because I didn't for the first half of the season – um, last season, and when you know it only has like an hour, all you're doing is constantly monitoring the batteries. And I had like six batteries, and you're just constantly monitoring the batteries, and that is an ab- it'll, that'll just wreck your hunt to yeah. be doing yeah. that. But if you if you know it's good for three four hours, like I've got two external batteries, and for the cold weather, I wrap them in those sticky foot warmers, kind of like what you were saying. Oh, yeah. Ben, uh, um, they, they have the foot warmers that actually have adhesive on them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wrap- I, oh. Wrap I, I the battery in those. those, and they'll. I mean, I never had only one hunt that I have um, problems with with the GoPro at all. But it, uh, to run a GoPro without external batteries is just that's asking too much of someone <laughs> on a hunt. Not to mention the the worst part of that for me, even like beyond like checking in the hunt, is like I would have like this massive setup to charge GoPro batteries, like six. You have to have like three charging stations, all with two batteries on. You're doing it the night before. <laughs> It's just like a mess. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. Battery recharging is still, I've, I mean, it's like I've got batteries basically charging right now. It's just with three cameras, it's just a never ending mess of making sure your batteries are charged. Yeah. I have two power strips all loaded up with uh, chargers for all the stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. That's awesome. So but in the end, you're just little boys with toys. I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's still fun because you right? know what it's about. Yeah. So, yeah, you start off and you, you tell your wife, you're like, oh, you know, I'm getting into duck hunting. Oh, okay. Got to buy some decoys. <laughs> oh, got to buy a blind. Oh, got to buy a, you know, a camera. Oh, now I got to buy a, a bunch of podcasting stuff. Oh, like when does it end, Ben? You know. <laughs> yeah, um, if you create content not. aside from duck hunting, it literally it literally dub- doubles your budget, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I already blew through my hunting budget. I I have maybe like five hundred bucks left for dive bomb decoys, but like, you know, that's it. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. Like, I don't, I don't yeah. even know if I've got gas money to get down to Tegan's. Like, <laughs> I've got a crowdfunding that I use called Patreon. Some people might be familiar with it, and I don't push it that hard, but I do bring it up and talk about it. And it's like every now and then people leave comment on the videos. You're always pushing that like I'm some kind of bum. I'm like, man, you don't know how expensive this is. It's not like I'm making a bunch of money here. If some people want to fund me a little bit, you know, that's okay. I'm not like a pushing it down people's throats, you know. It's yeah, expensive. You know, huge props to both you guys for being brave enough to have YouTube channels because I read some of the comments on some of you guys' hunts and I'm like, wow, these guys, there's some – Hard uh, critics out there. Yeah, what's up with YouTube comments? I don't. Uh, what is that? Yeah, yeah. I, I got used to one yesterday. Them all, but <laughs> but since I, I just leave them now. If you say something mean, I'm just like whatever. I don't care. Anyways, go ahead, Elliot. Sorry, I didn't it, mean to cut you it, off. At first, those really bothered me because I mean, and I heard you talk about. I think I listened to a podcast of yours, Ben. I can't remember which one it was, but you were talking about. Um, 
how we all want to feel competent. It, it goes into our self-image. You know, I mean, yeah. we do this, we love it. We want to feel competent. And when you're out there releasing videos and people are criticizing, literally people will criticize anything that you do. I mean, any <laughs> little thing. Someone criticized Golden Boy um, on the survival hunt video today because he threw a rock and didn't make it to the water. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable. And, and the guy was nice about it, but still, he took time to criticize him about that. And at first, it was a little bit bothersome because every little every little shot in the back of your head is like, well, maybe they're right. Maybe I don't know what I'm doing. But then after a mm-hmm. while, it kind of becomes background noise. And my wife kind of helped me realize this. When you have a YouTube channel, um, you really want to polarize people one direction or the other. You don't want people bored in the middle. So you don't want people to love you or I don't want to say hate you, but or your content needs to make them feel something emotional. And if it's not making them happy, it needs to turn them the other way. You don't want people to be bored. So huh. uh, if you're not getting troll kinds of comments, chances are you're probably not getting very many views. I had someone troll comment me over at the grind just the other day, I left a comment. My comment was like, all right, man, glad to see these videos coming up. And someone starts bashing me over on the grind. And I'm just like, okay, <laughs> oh, man, man, thanks. I appreciate the feedback. But it, it becomes it becomes not a big issue after a while. But at first, it it, it was a little bothersome. Hey, so if you, you ever wonder you know, why... Uh... If, if you ever Go wonder ahead, why man. Elliot water swats every single duck, it's because he wants people to feel something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so the people move it. You know, Elliot, the way you handle those comments, though, I think it says a lot about you and what FDH is because if you wanted to uh, on that grind comment, you could have said, oh, yeah, well, who has more followers? Or even on the comments on your channel, you could say, oh, yeah, well, X, Y, and Z this, you know, but you don't because it's – you know, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. I, I very much try. My, what I want to do is be as kind and personable as possible. Now, there have been – I'm, I'm all about being real, so I'm going to be real. There's been about five times I have left a really harsh comment and given it about ten minutes for the person to see it and delete it. Because <laughs> <But, laughs> at some point it really gets old, you know. But for the most part, I really want to present us in – um, a real kind, friendly, personable way and thick skin. No, it, if you're defensive, it, it, there's never a worse look than being defensive about comments, I don't think. Yeah, and very rarely <laughs> in real life do I ever just walk up to somebody and berate them. Um, so I don't I don't understand the need for it, you know, online. But also that's another thing too, you know, we're out here pushing content and, and I think I'm a little bit more protected because I don't put my, you know – you know, you don't see me and all this other stuff. And, you know, you put yourself out there and you can kind of just expect that you're going to have, like you said, you're going to have haters and you're going to have people that really appreciate what you do. And I guess just got to focus on the positive. Yeah. Well, the, the thing that was really hard for me is our my season one and season two were our worst numbers wise, our worst waterfowl seasons probably in the last 25 years. The season one, we didn't do very well. Season two, I got I got skunked on 45% of our hunts, which my average is like 12% during the year. And I mean, it was colossally bad years those two years. So after, the, after year two, I mean, we basically were essentially kind of looking incompetent because we just weren't shooting any ducks. And, and I knew that that's not us. I know we shoot ducks. We always have, but... That was that was really starting to get to me. Just the just the lack of success, and every single episode 
just showing a struggling to scratch out a few birds that 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 was a test that was a trial honestly yeah i mean that's a you know you get followers doing that then imagine you know the boom years coming up right so yeah so we we had a great year season three in fact that that was that was my best personal year ever so that was like oh my gosh that made that success so sweet i can tell you for me personally (laughs) taken did you get to season three when when you uh came over here and we're doing laundry well i'm trying to elliot which this past season what was this for you is this four three that was three okay then yeah that was we watched all of those Tegan was over here for like eight hours doing laundry because his dryer broke. So <laughs> that's one with all those ones that are Golden Boy in. We, we met Golden Boy in season two, and then he's in almost every single episode in season three. Yep, yep. What were you saying, Jordan? Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, <clears throat> kind of going back to those those comments. I actually had a guy, and um, you know, he went off on me, and he was saying like, "Why don't you?" hunt the geese like he said it in a really weird way and i didn't understand what he meant he's like why don't you hunt the geese in the field like a real hunter like like if you're hunting geese over the water like um because pretty much he was saying like i was destroying the chances of field hunters by hunting in the, in the river <laughs> and he just went off i'm like what are you even talking about there's some people that just you know and that, i guess that's not even like uh a a rare occurrence like there's a, a lot of people who believe like field hunting is the only way to do it for geese which i was definitely surprised to hear that yeah hardcore uh, goose field hunters they believe that i got berated my arms maybe the same guy i got absolutely berated by a guy for that same issue um and there's a certain there is a group of people that believe that you should not hunt a roost on a river of geese or, or anything and that that's not that uncommon of a belief but it's not think, even a roost, though. It's, yeah. it's kind of weird when they call you out on it. But, like, I mean, I can understand, like, not hunting a roost because you ruin the area for everybody. But if it's just hunting the river and geese fly up and down the river all day, then they go out to fields and they come back to, you know, loaf and then they go back to fields. I mean, you're just you're just hunting. Yeah. <laughs> you're literally of, waterfowl. Of privilege and opportunity comes bias and <laughs> opinion. So yeah, well, ours definitely are the roost. We are intentionally hunting the roost. What people don't know is on this river section, you've got a roost about every mile to two miles. They are when we're doing that, these roosts are littered up and down the river. So when we're when we're kicking birds off, we're not kicking them off the river. Now maybe they not may not go to your same field, but uh, I I love hunting the river, and I personally am not a huge fan of hunting fields because they're man made. They're man-made inventions. Well, inventions isn't the right word. They're man-made, and you don't get the wildlife experience in a field that you do in the river. You don't see river otters. You don't see belted kingfishers. You don't see as many eagles. Now, now I'm, I, I do like field hunting, and I would do it, but to say I have to hunt in a field and I'm not allowed to hunt in the river or I'm not a real hunter, is that, I mean, that is textbook elite, elitist thought process. Yeah, definitely elitist. Uh, it's like the puritanical waterfowlers. And, you know, Elliot, I'm not sure where you hunt exactly. Obviously, I wouldn't want you to release that. But, you know, some of the videos I've seen of yours, they look very similar to some of the rivers I also hunt around yeah. my hometown. And I've dealt with that before, too. Uh, people saying, you know, stop shooting those birds on the river. And surprisingly, it's some older gentleman that I've heard it from. And you're exactly right when you say some of these rivers around here, like, the roost can change day to day. I mean, they take mm-hmm. that thing like a highway. So that's yeah. I don't know, kind of a load of bull to me. 
Yeah, well, me absolutely, me me too. And the thing that I tried to explain to this guy because I did I did engage um, with the guy is I said, you know, I've got a nine to five during the week. I, I can't scout. Literally, it gets dark at five five thirty. I can't scout. There's no scouting that can take place. Now, I might be able to get my dad to get out one afternoon and kind of look up and down the river, but to field hunt, it's like you've got to pattern them and watch them. It's like a whole thing. And if you don't have that time, but you can go out and find where they're at on the river, it's, you don't, it's a, it's a, there's no way that we could even do it the quote unquote real way based on nine, based on having a nine to five job. You know, you talk about nine to five jobs and I saw, I can't remember whose Facebook I was on earlier, but it was someone saying, oh, the, it's, you know, the darn weekend warriors. And I got the, (laughs) <laughs> another guy another guy commented and he said, "Hey, yeah, I'm a weekend warrior. I'm tracking that. Um, you know, I work a 9 to 5 and a uh, basically what it came down to is like <laughs> I am hardcore. Like it does not matter that I only get to hunt one day out of the week due to my family obligations or mm-hmm. my work schedule." He goes, "But, you know, do not get it wrong. I live, breathe and I eat waterfowl. I'm thinking about it." Um, twenty four seven during the season, and mm-hmm. my heart aches, and so I make the best of every opportunity I can uh, a field. There, I just there are very few hunters that get to go out more than thirty times a year, and I've noticed the guys that go out forty five, fifty, sixty times. That mentality does kind of slip into them. Some of them, not all of them, you can never generalize. But the mentality of we're the real hunters. We know more than you. You're just a weekend warrior. When yo, know, I'm just trying to support my family and live life best I can. And if I could go out sixty times a year, I would. I'm not rich. I can't. I actually yeah. have to. That, do what most that darn do. family. Yeah, wanting food and money, <laughs> darn it, and love and attention. <laughs> yeah, well, man, and also you know as a big conservationist, if we only relied on the guys that could afford to hunt three and four days a week, there would not be enough duck stamps sold. <laughs> yep. Oh, and then even past that too is, is you know you talk about maybe the guy that only goes out once a month or the guy that thinks only you know, teal opener, <laughs> or, yeah, or just goes out on the openings. Those people are extremely important to conservation. The average in our yeah. state is five times a year a hunter goes out, a waterfowl hunter. That's the average, five times a year. Yeah, yeah. State statistics. Right. Well, hey, I got one question for you guys uh, talking about these comments, but also you know, rolling back into uh, the filming tips. One thing I see in a lot of YouTube video comments is people saying that people are sky busting and those shots are so far away. And I don't think they realize, maybe you guys can touch on this, uh, how like GoPro specifically kind of altered the image of the hunt. Jordan? Yeah, so I guess with the GoPro, um, especially with the older ones, they have the fish eye, and um, you know that that widens your your uh, how how would I say would it be focal length? Um, and uh, if you if there's some good good examples of of this. Um, on the internet and you can see like when they change uh, which millimeter lens they're using um, it kind of shows like it, it makes the distance of or the perspective of the distance from one individual to another look further away and it really like kind of distorts perception so um, I, w- I wish I could remember like what the example was called but I mean you can see it where they shift through it it's the same like one person standing there and they shift through all the lenses and all the, the millimeter lengths and it shows like and if you have like a tree next to them um, the further 
the wider the angle of the lens, the further that actually looks like it is away from them. And then the the narrower that is, um, it kind of brings it in. I'm doing a terrible terrible job of explaining this, but um, I'm sure some people know what I'm talking about. And then with the GoPro, the reason they have it wide, you know, it's action cam trying to get everything, and so it does make your ducks kind of look like ants even though you're taking like an ethical 30 yard shot um it might look like this duck is really tiny way out there and so if you're if you're just having a gopro image it does look like people are sky busting when indeed they're not yeah the best way to tell on a gopro if they're sky busting is count the seconds until it hits the water and if, it, if it's not dropping down that far to hit the water you know it's not a sky bust i've got a playlist on my youtube channel of just mallard hunts and if you go in there a lot of those hunts the same shot you'll see it on my panasonic and with the gopro and you'll see it like right after another so you'll do the panasonic and then the gopro on some of those and you can see the difference because i mean Mm. you'll have a you'll have a duck come i put my gopro as close to the decoys as i can to eliminate that as much as possible but i'll have a duck land literally on top of the of the um gopro like 10 yards and it'll look all of 25 yards when you, when you look at the footage. Yeah, it's crazy how much that, that footage can manipulate uh, the distance and the depth perception. Do you guys ever have to change up like the way you hunt? Like, do you feel like video in your hunts maybe makes you decoy birds better or takes more ethical and closer shots? Or do you maybe manipulate where the camera's at? Um, um, go ahead. Go ahead, Elliot. All right. Um... Uh, we have my dad is is the most fanatic hunter I've ever met about taking close shots, and he has just instilled it in me from the time we started duck hunting that our shot selection uh, honestly is probably tilted to the far extreme of the the shots that we take because everyone that we hunt with wants to take shots we don't take and they're not sky busting so for us and we just almost never pull the trigger at 40 yard shots on the, on the first shot. I mean, sometimes you get them that far on the second or third. So it sets up pretty well, um, for, for filming. So we didn't, we don't ever change anything just because my dad has just ingrained that so deeply in me to get those close shots. Yeah, I guess, uh, for me along those lines, um, I really haven't changed up what I would do, I guess, if I wasn't filming, um, but yeah, and, and as far as manipulating the cameras, like sometimes it, it's just, I always try to line it up just to get the shot. Like it kind of, to get the bird in the shot, if you, if you kind of know where they're coming, but you can't really do anything. Um, you can't change the settings on the GoPro. They have a setting for, um, linear, I think it linear, medium and wide. And, uh, each one of those settings kind of adjusts. The, the perception of the depth where if you're medium, it doesn't look like there's far away. But if it's wide, then they, they look like ants flying through the sky. Is that what you use, Jordan, as medium? Um, honestly, I, I've switched between it. You know, it depends what my goal is on that hunt. Like if I don't know where the birds are going to be coming from, I'll just go with wide. Um, just because I'd rather have the birds in the shot, even if they look small. Um, I'm not necessarily super concerned about the kill shot, but you know, having it in there just helps tell the story opposed to like me just standing up. Cause usually I have another camera for that. That's showing me standing up kind of all facets of, of what's happening during the birds flying in. And if I do know where they're coming in, I can take that narrower approach by setting it on medium. I've got to the point where I've got a 
a, normally either I cut off a stick or I have one that I take with me and I put the GoPro actually in the water and I've got it down to a point where I'm using medium on the settings and I am missing very, very few birds being shot with and it's close and it looks close enough that I'm happy with the footage. Now, if they land in an unusual spot uh, or a little bit farther to one side sometimes, then they look a little bit far away. But um, if you if you look at my GoPro footage, I'm I think it's hard to do a whole lot better than that as far as is the shots that you're getting on them and not looking like ants as long as you're shooting them in the pocket. Nice. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the things I was going to ask you about was what are your favorite types of shots? Or you know, you were talking to Ben Potter last week, um, and. He was telling you how he goes out there and he's like, oh, I'm going to get this epic shot. He's got it in his head. Um, it goes out there and either they fall short or they, you know, extend beyond what he was, you know, looking to do. Do you guys have any of those shots? You know, your, your dream shots? Um, for, or is that proprietary information? <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm not quite sure how to answer that. I will, I'll say this: what I what I want to be, what I'm trying to do, is what I I want to do. Everything I'm doing in my videos, but I want to continue to improve the video quality of birds in flight and of the kill shots. And so, my dream shot is having a good enough video camera that I can continue doing what I'm doing with all with the way I do it. But then the kill shots will look something more like what you'll see on foul reality or the grind and just add that not to make it a focal point, but to add that into what I'm doing. So my, my dream shot is just to have the, the proper cameras and equipment to get really good shots of birds in the air and, and of kill shots to be sprinkled right. into what I'm doing. Right. I, my favorite shots are when like you just see that bird kind of slipping in and doing the left right like final little yeah. adjustments and then mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that, that's like that's where they go completely sideways oh, or cool. like turn upside down yeah 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 it's so hard to get good quality video of that um until your until your gear really until you step up your your price range for your gear it's so difficult holding the camera still without a shoulder mount with enough frames per second to fully get it right it's it's hard it's it's a hard yeah and for me i can't i can't actually make that a focal point of mine it can't be a staple of my show because of how frequently i'm by myself um mm-hmm. so i just do the best to show kind of like the solo version of it and being able to get you know everything in the in the frame and then kind of my dream shot is is just i love the 50 millimeter i love getting uh the cinematic b-roll shots of you know, just the hunt and just I've, I've, I'm kind of beating this into the ground saying it again, but doing duck hunting justice, like because I think it's so cool what mm-hmm. we go out there and do. And I love to show that. And like people that don't duck hunt a lot of times can appreciate kind of the feel and atmosphere when you can show all the the cinematic B-roll shots um, like, man, that, that does look cool. And, uh, you know, that's kind of my dream shot and getting better at that. And, um, you know, anytime I get done with a hunt, you know, I'm, I'm doing that. If I have time, I'm doing that. And I love just being able to take that cinematic B-roll. And Jordan's, Jordan's thumbnails, if you don't follow him on Instagram, his thumbnails and his pictures he gets with that setup are amazing. If you just look at the thumbnails for Duck Gun Podcast, the pictures he gets are just incredible with his setup. 
Yeah. Jordan, I got to applaud you. You know, you're out there. You say most, you know, 50% of your hunts are, are self, uh, just by yourself. And you're running a dog out of a canoe sometimes. Yeah. Running camera. <laughs> you're as, yeah. as, uh, taken as loco, my friend. Like, <laughs> I love it. And honestly, I shouldn't say I'm solo because, like you said, I have a dog and I don't know if I'd do it solo without my dog because anytime i can go solo especially like training a dog i mean he's two years old um going on three and uh you know if i get a chance to go i'm like i'm going just so i can take my dog and uh you know even if everybody else is like no i'm out i'm like well i'm in and so is my dog we're going and uh sure and yeah but it, it does it does even when i'm with groups like if you're the one that has to control a dog control a camera and hunt like that's when it can get a little, you know, crazy. <laughs> hey, that's a lot of stuff. You, <laughs> you know, stuff you're bringing out too. So, hey, Elliot, you said that Jordan uses some of those uh, pictures for like the thumbnail pictures, and that's mm-hmm. one thing I wanted to ask: is have you guys ever just caught some crazy shots from like some still frame footage? Like, you know, even though you're videoing hunts, uh, maybe some people realize this, maybe they don't. You know, you can also maybe get some awesome, you know, the instagram-esque like photos from video in your hunts too yeah the the problem with the cameras that i use um is that traditionally and i i do do a lot of screenshots off of my videos for thumbnails and they're they're good for thumbnails thumbnails are small and the resolution doesn't have to be that great but when you go and putting some of that stuff on instagram which i do but when you go and putting some of that on instagram and you and you look at like a picture jordan's taken with his setup with his 50 millimeter lens and then you put it side by side on like a a handy cam even a five six seven hundred dollar um handheld and you look at the image quality uh, between those two it's going to be drastically reduced on on screenshots okay well, yeah, but I do. I do millimeter is like I, magic. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you're if you're gonna get a DSLR and a 50 millimeter lens, um, it just it, it really is like magic for uh you know photography. <laughs> and we should probably say Jordan films with a DSLR, and I and I form I, I film um with your handheld camera, and those are those are drastically different um in in certain areas, and still shots is definitely one of those areas. And you see that come out in, in what we do. Right. Did I answer right. your question? Did I answer your question fully? Yeah, you did. It was actually to my surprise. I figured maybe you'd be able to get some awesome uh, screenshots, but maybe well, not. Well, I do. I do get screenshots I really like, and I use them for a lot of thumbnails. It's just my cameras, my handheld cameras are not high quality enough that it doesn't, the single frames don't sometimes hold the clarity um, be, with the, as like a DSLR individual snapshot would would. Yeah, yeah I mean I that some, that does make sense. You're shooting moving targets with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you get some get awesome stills moving, though with with my like, DSLR. Getting a duck moving or something and getting a still from that with the gear I have, if it's not stationary, it's not going to look. It's not going to look high quality. No way. All right, here's going to be the, uh, the the tough moment here for you, Jordan. What is your favorite, your favorite video that you've done, and then what is your favorite video of Elliot's? Mm. Okay, we'll start with we'll start with mine, um, and I think there, there's a lot that I really like of mine. It sounds kind of like <laughs> it sounds kind of <laughs> like, oh, I love all my videos, but uh, 
I'm um, the best. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just like really because you get to relive the memory. It's not that like yeah. I'm the best and like and like honestly, one of my favorite videos and it kind of goes back to like having like the feel and the cinematic uh, B roll. Like I I don't even I I got zero kill shots on this film and I took my uh, younger sister out. She has to go duck hunting with me this year. Is this the Christmas and, one? Uh, yeah, and she was home for Christmas, and so, um, you know, just like getting to relive that memory. We, you know, we had a fun time. I got to, you know, pester her for like she was late. Uh, she slept through her alarm, and she didn't show up on time. We had a huge snowstorm. Um, she didn't have waders, so I had to like canoe her around to get to our spot instead of being able to walk out. And then, you know, we get there, and like. Honestly, I missed a ton of the footage because of us being late, but still, it's just like a great memory. And we get there, and there's just mallards literally flying. Like, right, we're, we're coming up this creek to our setup, uh, the place we're going to set up, and we have like 60 mallards buzz over our head. We have like mallards coming in from the other side. There's just ducks everywhere. So I'm like, uh, you know, I parked the canoe. I'm like, we'll stay here and like tell her like to sit over here. And, you know, I, I creep up the side of the bank, you know, where all the mallards are, and they flush up. And, um, you know, I had three shells in my gun and three shells in my pocket. And, uh, you know, I shoot my first three. Unfortunately, you know, early morning jitters. I missed the first two shots, hit the third, and then I, I load up again. And the birds are just circling everywhere. And I knocked down two more. Um, but, yeah, it was just awesome, you know, that hunt to be out there. And then to remember that that memory, you know, taking my little sister out for her first experience uh, duck hunting, even though she didn't have a license. She just got to watch. But, yeah, I'd say that's my favorite. And just, you know, I love the B-roll on that one, too. You Just yeah. being able to relive that memory. Um, and as far as Elliot's, let's see. That's a little bit harder because I don't have Elliot's mem- memorized the same as I have, you know, my own. Yeah, it's harder. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I just, the overall feel, you know, I love when uh, you see the whole FDH crew kind of given um, – everybody a hard time and i can remember one video you know where elliot's out there and dan actually takes the boat the wrong way and you're just getting a kick out of it and he's like filming like dan just went down the river like <laughs> you know hundreds of yards the wrong way i don't know how you can do this he went from the boat launch and you know <laughs> yeah yeah just getting to they get they get to the, the thing i enjoy about elliot's videos is he brings you on the store and you're laughing because you're kind of like part you feel like you're part of it you know of them all, you know, joking around and giving uh, Dan a hard time about doing silly things or whatever and, you know, breaking out the Chef Boyardee. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> when's that's that Chef Boyardee? When's right, that now, sponsor Elliot. coming in? Yeah, when's that sponsorship coming in? Well, but, I'll tell you now, what. I actually tried to, I tried to contact them. And oh. the problem is it's like you can't contact Chef Boyardee. They have like a Crafts, over-umbrella corporation right do you contact for that? yeah oh. I, I found i found an email and i emailed them and they were basically like go away you little peasant it was kind of <laughs> but i did try i did try yeah right. to, to fully answer that question though um i guess it's kind of thinking back one one of uh elliot's sons it's not necessarily because of like the storytelling in that one but uh 
Um, I really love his early season teal hunts because I don't have that kind of experience in Indiana. Mm. You guys go out to like the prairie marshes, and I remember I think it was I, I don't remember if it was this season or the season before, but it's just you and Golden Boy, I think, and you guys have teal just buzzing you everywhere. And like I even asked you about this like later on. I'm like, dude, there's so many teal. You guys were just picking them off one by one, and like I would have had a hard time like not you know. You know, limit trying to limit out faster, just with the pure excitement of all the till everywhere and being in such a cool, cool place to hunt. So yeah, that I, was the tornado hunt where, where there was a, we were in a tornado warning in a tent the night before. I love that video because you've <laughs> got the tornado the night, and literally it was like tornado warning. All my family calling me to leave, and then the next morning it's just like teal like gnats. Yeah, <laughs> I love you guys' camping videos. That just adds even more of like the. Sitting at home, it feels real with me. And just like, yeah. yeah, cooking, cooking your ducks right there. Raw, the no salt, no pepper. Um, all right, Elliot. So now that you were, I know you were perusing through Jordan's playlist real quick to find your favorite one. <laughs> I was going through my mind of his playlist, and and uh, there's several that stand out to me, and I don't know the names of them, but. Jordan, we've talked about that little hole that you have where that someone I think burnt down or whatever. Uh, the, the, the blind, hole. the little yeah, blind. Yeah, the smashed up the blind. <laughs> there were several videos you did from there, and I think those were the very first videos where, that I saw of yours, and I really like those videos. And then the one with your sister as well. But there's another one that really sticks out: is you guys were hunting at a pond. You've only hunted this place once that I've seen. You're at a pond in some kind of blind, and there was like massive flocks coming right it was early season this last year mm-hmm. and there was yeah. massive flocks coming down in and you guys shot your limit uh that i liked that video a lot too those nice um i don't know what is the name of that what is the name of that one where the the pond that one's uh cold front thunder okay yeah cold front that was thunder well, that's that a sound, good name. that sounds like it needs to be an episode of mine or something about <laughs> the foul front <laughs> And for, for, and before I forget to say it, I love the thunder at the beginning of, of you guys' podcast. I love the thumbnail, and I love the thunder. It's such a good way to start it off, man. I just love both, that. Both of those things, one of those comes from one of my the, – the thunder comes from a video of mine. Uh, and then the I took that picture. So Really? But, nice. Well, Elliot, you didn't get to your favorite video that you have. Okay. I've got my all my favorite. There's from season two. This was the first time um, this video that I was like, this is what this is kind of the blueprint for what I want my videos to be like is the one where I catch Dan putting shotgun shells by that can of Sterno. And yep. I really tear into him about it. And he's talking about burning down a forest when he's a kid and throwing shot. He went off on such a tirade and he can do this all the time that I felt like truly I caught Dan at Dan's best in those moments. <laughs> and he was just saying, like, all that crap he said, like, most people haven't thrown a match down a gas tank. He's literally tried to do that. I mean, <laughs> that's like Dan's MO. Yeah, he's not just saying that stuff. That's how Dan is. Right now, Dan is trying to build his own um, pizza oven out of clay. And <laughs> he, he, some of these projects, he always has a project in mind. I'm getting off topic a little bit. I just, Dan is just so un, the most unusual person I've ever met. He was going <laughs> to dig a hole in the concrete of his garage and make a, uh, his own hot tub with some hot. Well, I mean, it's, 
It's insane. But anyway, <laughs> in that video, you've got all Dan's antics, and then you've got really good kill shots and really good shots of birds both flying and on the water. And at the end of that video, I was like, okay, that was the first time I was like, this is kind of how I want our videos to be, where you're really digging into the personalities of who we are, but yet we're having a good good hunt and getting good content of ducks in the air and being killed. And I think I could have, looking back on it, there's some things I could have cut out to make that a little shorter video, but that's probably um, my favorite. I also, the early teal hunts are good and the, the snow, the the hunt, um, the really good goose hunt this past year, just as far as the kill shots we got um, on the river with the geese. Yeah, those were excellent as well. But yeah. I'd say that's probably and that spot. I didn't want to even show that that video um, with Dan because that was a tiny little section of river that was public right up against this town that almost nobody knew that, that it was public. And since then, they've actually flipped it and so you can't even hunt anymore but no one bothered us in there and no one knew it was public and you can see a huge grain elevator in the back so i knew knew that people were going to be able to identify this spot and i was just like i even put it on patreon and my patrons like put up a vote it's like should i post this should i not post it and one of the patrons got on google and was like well i in about five about 15 minutes I, i could find on a map where it was based on google and i'm like oh my god and i had i had to post it though because i just love the video too much yeah that's you know that's the hard part about you know especially with you guys being cognizant of you know maybe you know i know that matt has to be super cognizant when he's doing his mushroom hunting stuff and all right we've talked about that before um but you know that's another element that i kind of have to deal with i've gotten some i've gotten some heat for like hey man why are you mentioning some of these places and it's well man i don't you know i don't know um, yeah, <laughs> I'd say one tip for that is just you don't mention it if you don't mention the actual location. Like you can say I'm in Indiana or Kansas or some people I'm no Elliot's kind of straight away from even that. But like I'll say that I'm in Indiana, but I won't say what river. Like people ask what river and I don't tell them. Um, you know, and uh, I've, I've had people message me as well saying like, "Hey, I hunt the same spot as you." I'm like, "Oh, cool!" Like they're all excited about it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. Not excited. <laughs> Uh, my, you know, and my my kind of thing with it is, is okay if it's been on the cover of you know Ducks Unlimited uh, magazine. I'm not really going to shy away from you know telling stories yeah. about some of these cool places. Um, the the other thing that kind of goes along with it too, and I I've talked about this in some of my my past episodes. I really do feel like it's the responsibility of the I would as you would say evolved hunter. To go out and reclaim private lands that are excellent, you know, habitat and hunting spots to kind of be the the blow off valve for these public areas. Would you say that uh, that would be at like all means necessary, including trespassing? Oh no, no! <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Dang it! George you just made it sound so like aggressive. Like reclaim these private lands i'm like whoa reclaim the private lands through you know education and letting you know these landowners know how good of stewards of conservation and the land we are you know that's the thing is is who better to take care of this you know planet earth than a hunter right that's that's why that's why we're put here 
Yeah, and I totally agree with that. I didn't mean to take away from your. That was an excellent point. You know, just too good of a joke to pass up. But I totally agree with you on that. <laughs> oh, I would I would have taken it too. Don't worry. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so I always I always ask guests this, and so this will we'll kind of wrap her up here. But all right, Elliot, you only get one more duck hunt in your life. Where are you going? Who are you going with? What are you guys hunting? And what's the weather like? Oh, my last now can I can I choose the water levels too because some of us dependent on that. <laughs> you, like what's my dream? You have perfect conditions. Full, you have okay. full settings control here. I have this hole that it's more of a timber hole and it only has water in it about I'd say thirty percent of the years and it is my absolute favorite place to hunt and it's not far off from where a lot of my videos have been shot but I've never it's not had any water. I take that back. I filmed a couple of teal hunts from this place. And when the water, when the conditions are right on this place, it, it, to me, it is the most fun place to hunt that I've ever experienced. And it's, it's nowhere. It's, I got to travel 45 minutes to get to it from here. And that is, it's kind of the place where, um, I really started having success by myself away from my home where I grew up, where I found it on my own you know, figured it out. We're shooting limits there by myself. And that that's the spot. It's kind of a timber hole, but it's this part of the state, not like Arkansas, but that would be the spot. Who's with you? My dad, me and my dad, me and me and my dad and our dogs. Okay. What's the weather like? The weather is about 28 degrees. And there's a little bit of ice, but not totally iced over. And it's all mallards. All mallards. All right. <laughs> I've had this. Actually, this is a hunt that we had. That I yeah, want to oh, relive. of course. Of course. <laughs> that I want to relive. <laughs> all right, Jordan? You know, surprisingly, mine is pretty similar to Elliot's. And uh, mine, mine would be with my dad. And he's actually never duck hunted. And I've talked him into coming this year. And uh, we've kind of been on this this adventure of rediscovering wildlife together in nature and creation. Um, but it kind of brings me back to the beginning of my story. Like, you know how I was saying, like I'd hunt with my grandpa and my dad growing up and then really got away from that. Um, you know, I guess in my older teen years through most of my twenties until just a few years ago. And, uh, and, you know, we started fly fishing together and I'm kind of, and I got the itch for hunting. And now, um, you know, I brought him on his first Turkey hunt this year um and he got a, a big tom and you know so for me you know it would be definitely with my dad and the spot the spot that would be would be uh at the at what i call the honey hole um <laughs> and it's kind of brings me back to my very first duck hunt and uh i actually video it's not my very first duck hunt my very first like really really successful duck hunt we had mallards just coming in everywhere i didn't realize like what ducking duck hunting was like until that day and uh you know i found it myself like i i had uh hunted the day before on the river and i could see this this hole back off the river um and these ducks were just pouring into it like duck after duck flock after flock just hundreds of ducks going and um you know i, I called up my buddy and i'm like man we got to get out there we got to go to this spot and he's kind of a little leery because like he's like man you don't know anything about duck hunting at this point and i didn't like <laughs> And he's like, kind of, you know, like, okay, I'm not really sure about this. So I convinced him to come. Anyways, we get out to the blind, and um, I mean, it was like 15 minutes before before 
uh, first light, and we had 200 ducks. I mean, I don't even know how many. It was a ton of ducks all around us. They just landed everywhere, and I was, like, freaking out. I wish I had, like, audio of it, but I didn't. Um, I'm like, dude, there's ducks everywhere. I can't believe this. But anyways, like, just having that crazy experience. And I, and I love taking, like, people for the first time. And, uh, it, I mean, so it won't be – obviously, my last hunt won't be my dad's first time, but um, – I just really want to have that hunt with my dad, take him out there and have that same kind of experience um, with just tons of mallards coming in to my favorite location to hunt. Yeah. You know, our, our stories are so pretty similar, Jordan. Um, Pretty, you know, there's a lot of parallels to starting with the upland and then, you know, kind of dad, maybe getting into it, you know, too. Uh, I I just love it. You know, my dad, he's like a turkey thug. The dude lives, (laughs) the he lives for hunting turkeys and um, I don't, you know, you talk about a lot, you know, like there's some cool experiences in your life and the coolest thing I've seen so far is see my dad turn 12 years old again when we had a group of 30 geese coming in uh, on us like uh, when we were in a pit blind and, you know, two miles from his house. Nothing cooler than that. So, yeah, I can understand that sentiment. Well, all right. I guess we ought to get into the uh, the old plugs portion. Um, you know, go uh, if you guys haven't listened to the Duck Gun podcast. It it is it's really great. Um, and the thing that I like about it the most, I think, is I feel like just like Elliot was saying, you know, you kind of get that raw. This is who we are. Kind of, you know, duck camp. Is that what we called it? Duck camp. Yep. Uh, the duck camp feeling and you know you really get to know to know them and the guests that they bring on they do a really good job of that and then obviously go check out um their respective pages and what what do you guys have for the listeners of foul front oh you go ahead first well, I just want to say I really appreciate coming on here, and I'm certainly fans of what you guys have going on. It's really impressive the kind of following that you guys have built, and I am so happy that you guys have this mentality of just working together and collaborating because I think it's going to just do the whole sport um, good to have us working together. And um, if you do want to find my stuff, it's Freelance Duck Hunting on YouTube. And also the website I have developed is Freelance Hunt Stats where you can log all of your hunts and track your stats. There's a free side of it. Go check that out and then find our Facebook page at Fellowship of the Duck Gun. All right. And uh, my plugs, Instagram, Duck Gun Chronicles, uh, YouTube, Duck Gun Chronicles. And same Facebook as Elliot. And I also would uh, – I really appreciate you guys having us on here. It's great to uh, collaborate with like-minded individuals. Um, you know, duck hunting with our decreased numbers, you know, it's no better time for us to be together, um, you know, as one mind going after these issues and, and talking about them and discussing them. And, uh, you know, there's just so much that – so many people against hunting that there's no reason that we should be anything but, uh, you know, friends and, um, um, comrades and, <laughs> in this, this mission of duck hunting. Absolutely. And then, you know, the other thing too is, is when it comes to podcasts and duck hunting podcasts, for instance, or, or, you know, there's a lot of people out there still to, to reach out to. And, 
more than anything, yeah, you we've just found you guys are good dudes, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think that's the, the the coolest thing about um, since I, that I've learned since starting this podcast is there's just a lot of cool dudes out there uh, and dudettes, obviously that are you know, <laughs> and everyone we'd all share a blind together, we'd all share a beer together, and just no sense and. There's so many people against us or that don't understand us or don't even know what this is all about. Um, that's that's who we got to reach out to. So, Total agree. agreement with that. But, well, all right, boys. Shall we sign off? Sounds good all to right. me. It's been a good time. Yeah, it's yeah, a thanks pleasure. Again, thanks uh, for coming on. Thanks again, Ben and uh, Tegan. Yeah, thank you guys. Yep. Now you guys have a have a good one, and then um, obviously we'll you know we're over in your guys's group, uh, the Fellowship of the Duck Guns, and uh, obviously head on over to the uh, Foul Front. I don't even know what we got it named now anymore. Foul Front Waterfowl, Waterfowl Podcast Fowl, Group, yes. yep, or something. <laughs> so, but uh, not too many Foul Front things out there. So yeah, just type in Foul Front. Yeah, you'll you're, find you're, it. You're, you're, you're find it. <laughs> But all right, guys. Hey, have a good one. Yeah, you too. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group, the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast group, where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great, great grandkids will be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands. Uh, We also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on iTunes and give us five stars if you think we deserve it. And we really do want to hear back from you uh, so that we can give you the best possible content. And if you get in on that Facebook group, you can get in there and you can ask questions and you can tell us what you want to hear next or you can tell us uh, what you don't like. And we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners. So, all right. Stay safe out there, and we will see you next week. Hey, you ever been sitting in front of your TV just wondering why you can't catch the latest episode of The Foul Front right there in your living room so you can press all your guests and family with your fine taste and podcast listening? Me neither. But hey, as a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, you can now find The Foul Front and some other great podcasts on your Apple TV, your Roku, your Amazon Fire Stick, Smart TV, even your gaming console just by downloading the Waypoint app. And heck, while you're there, they got over 2,500 hunting and fishing shows on demand. Go download the Waypoint app today. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. 
On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.